Plastics 101. What are polyolefins? Stay tuned and find out. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Kurt Staley, a.k.a. That Plastics Guy. If you're new here, this is the place where I share almost four decades of industry experience with you. Guests are coming, but for the time time being right now, I'll be talking a little bit about um, polyolefins in today's episode. And speaking of today's episode, it is sponsored by Simcoe Plastics Limited, where we have a passion for polymers. You can visit us at simcoplastics.com or contact us at info at simcoplastics.com. Part of what I do here is to provide some education on the building blocks of plastics. There are so many different families of materials under this broad umbrella of plastics. Today I thought I'd start with what is probably the most widespread and the most basic of these building blocks, a family of materials referred to generically as polyolefins. To start, I'm going to quote directly from Wikipedia on the definition of, po- of a polyolefin because they have it probably in a more succinct manner than I could uh, conjure up in front of my keyboard. So with thanks to my friends at Wikipedia, and I would certainly encourage you to look at the Wikipedia entry simply by searching for polyolefin. So here we go with the uh, Wikipedia definition. A polyolefin is a type of polymer with the general formula CH2CHR, where the R is an alkyl group. They are usually derived from a small set of simple olefins. Dominant in a commercial sense are polyethylene and polypropylene. So we're, we're familiar with those. Those are probably terms that we've heard. More specialized polyolefins include polyisobutylene and polymethylpentene. All of these are colorless or white oils or solids. Many copolymers are known, such as polybutene, which derives from a mixture of different butene isomers. Geez, and I hope I'm getting all the science <laughs> pronounced correctly. This is uh, not exactly the kind of in-depth uh, technical knowledge that we talk about in a typical uh, customer meeting. The name of each polyolefin includes the ola from which it is prepared. For example, polyethylene is derived from ethylene, and polymethylpentene is derived from 4-methyl-1-pentene. Polyolefins are not olefins themselves because the double bond of each olefin monomer, monomer is opened in order to form the polymer. Monomers have more than one double bond, such as Butadiene and isoprene yield polymers that contain double bonds, polybutadiene and polyisoprene. I got through those and are usually not considered polyolefins. Polyolefins are the foundation of many chemical industries. In general, polyolefins have excellent chemical resistance with polyethylene being relatively slightly more chemically resistant than polypropylene. This makes a polyethylene, um, this makes polyethylene suitable for the safe packaging 
of solvents, cleaning products, other harsh chemicals, uh, such as, and not limited to, oil and fuel. So if you look at uh, uh, jerry cans for carrying gasoline, that's high-density polyethylene blow-molded. Continuing with Wikipedia for a moment, uh, here is a specific breakdown of polyethylene. So polyethylene, or polythene, abbreviated as PE, is the most commonly produced plastic. It is a polymer primarily used for packaging, plastic bags, plastic films, geomembranes, house wrap, if you want to think of it that way, and containers including bottles. As of 2017, over 100 million tons of polyethylene resins are being produced annually, accounting for 34% of the total plastics market. That is a staggering number. So think of it in terms of the majority, well, just a touch over one third of all of the plastics produced annually is polyethylene, and the majority of that is going into film and packaging applications. The very products that get the, co the goods that you buy on a regular basis to you safely and probably in the cheapest manner possible. Many kinds of polyethylene are known, with most having chemical formula C2H4. PE is usually a mixture of similar polymers of ethylene with various values of N. Hmm. It could be a low density or high density and many variations thereof. And I'll get into some applications of uh, low density, linear, low, high density. Uh, these are the, the grades that uh, we in the trade are selling on a, a daily basis. Its properties can be modified further by cross-linking or copolymerization. Um, I may get into cross-linking. That's uh, a little outside of some of the conventional processes that I deal with on a regular basis, um, but it's interesting to talk about nonetheless. All forms are non-toxic as well as chemically resilient, and I mentioned that these are ideal for um, some pretty uh, aggressive solvents and fuels and, and whatnot. As a consequence of these factors, PE is used on an immense scale. It is widespread. Its widespread use is also problematic because it resists biodegradation. And that's obviously a topic that I think more than just the average consumer is picking up on. I mean, I think we're all painfully aware of uh, plastics in landfills and how plastics are accumulating. Like the hydrocarbon it is, PE is white and colorless, and indeed it is combustible. Continuing with uh, Wikipedia, and uh, I don't wish to just make one podcast quoting Wikipedia, but the history is, well, we're going to get into the history, but the information is here. And again, it's, it's far more concise than I could uh, put together just pulling things uh, together that I know. So in terms of history, polyethylene was first synthesized by the German chemist Hans von Peckmann, who prepared it by accident in 1898 while investigating diazomethane. I hope I have that correct. When his colleagues Eugene Bamberger and Frederick Kishner, and I'm sure I have not pronounced that uh, correctly, my apologies, characterized the white waxy substance that he had created, they recognized 
that it contained long CH2 chains and termed it polymethylene. <laughs> now, here we go. Since it's not a chemistry class, I promise I, I would not do that to you, thankfully. I want to get to the uses of the various grades of polyethylene, or PE for short. And in order to do that, we have to talk about one of the chief characteristics of measuring polyethylene, and that is melt flow. There, there are several, but in industry speak, we will discuss first melt flow when talking about an application. So when we're discussing um, grades of materials, the common question is, what is the melt flow or what melt is it? Melt flow, strictly speaking, is a controlled test to an ASTM specification that measures how many grams of plastic flow into a vessel at a certain temperature within a certain amount of time, given a certain weight placed on a vessel that holds the material within the testing apparatus. So if you apply a two kilo weight to unmelted pellets and they become melted, they flow through the apparatus, and they're collected in another vessel at the bottom of the apparatus over, say, 60 seconds. How much product is collected in that vessel? That gives us the melt flow. Uh, the device is, of course, calibrated. The operator is trained. And these devices do require a significant amount of skill for the test to be executed correctly. <coughs> Excuse me. In general industry parlance, the melt flow or the melt will generally indicate the application for the material in question. For example, a fractional melt or frac melt will have a melt flow of less than one. This type of material is generally used for extrusion blow molding to create such items as corrugated wiring conduit or drainage tile or, or drainage pipe. Melt flows from one to four are often, but not exclusively limited to, uh, the realm of film and packaging applications. Melt flows from approximately, certainly eight and up would be in typical injection molding range, but depending on other characteristics of the material, melt flow from five and up could be injection molded as well. There, there are some other variables at play. Um, the higher the melt flow number simply means that the material in question, when it's in its uh, beyond a softened state, but in a state where it can actually flow, will be more liquid uh, and less like a slow-moving sludge for all intents and purposes. Applications that require elevated levels of pressure to move the molten plastic injection require a higher melt. If you think of an application such as, oh, I don't know, a, a margarine container, where you may have a large mold where 20 margarine containers would be made every four or five seconds. Uh, with a certain brand name of equipment, Husky, typically associated with these high volume applications, material for that application would be a very high melt flow, perhaps as high as a 50, 35 at least, but could be 50, maybe even higher depending on how the machine is tuned for it. So. The inverse would be true for applications that require the material to move in a more formed or continuous manner after going through uh, a die, you know, profile extrusion application, or I mentioned uh, uh, a blow molding um, application such as the uh, um, corrugated wiring harness. 
those materials have to be a lower melt flow. So again, they come out of the forming apparatus, a dye, uh, in case of profile extrusion. Uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that for a moment. Profile extrusion. The material will not uh, collapse. It will not be too soft. It will not flow. It will be somewhat molten still and can be cooled and it will retain its shape. That's what a low melt flow does, primarily. So more so than with any other material available, polyethylene is talked about in addition to melt flow in terms of density or specific gravity. So what is specific gravity, you may ask? Well, I'm glad you asked because this is where we talk about these things, and I'll explain. Water, if you may not be aware, has a density or specific gravity of 1. Anything with a density of greater than 1 will sink. Anything with a density of less than 1 will float. For those of you who have ever made wine or beer at home, you will be familiar with paying attention to the density or specific gravity of your chosen libation during the fermentation process. And when that batch of your favorite brew hits a certain specific gravity, you have to stop the fermentation process. And I forget how that's done. I, I, did, <laughs> I did used to make uh, homemade wine at one point in time, and, and now I buy store-bought wine. But that's another uh, topic. Plastics have density too. And the various densities will impact the physical properties of the finished component. The higher the density, the tougher the finished product will be. Take, for example, items like milk crates. And we have a specific range of polyethylene that's referred to as a crate grade, typically a six or seven melt material that has a higher density. So more material is packed in per unit of measure. Um, and it just, for, it just basically makes for a stronger material and therefore a stronger finished part. So density of polyethylene can vary quite widely from approximately 0.857 to about 0.975. Since polyethylene accounts for just over a third of total plastic sold, it is not only a commercial winner and versatile, it is amazingly easy to process in equipment. Um, polyethylene, I can tell you from personal experience, there really is nothing that's as easy to run as polyethylene. It is molecularly speaking, very close to wax. So it is uh, easy to demold or parts will come off of a tool in a, a pretty straightforward manner. And it has some very forgiving properties. So you really have to try hard to ruin processing polyethylene, not to say it can't happen, but it is a very forgiving material to work with. So the factors that have led to widespread adoption in applications ranging from ubiquitous food packaging to recycling blue bins uh, to milk and storage crates to rotational molded playground equipment, canoes, and kayaks. PE takes colorant very well, and in fact, PE, polyethylene, I'll use those two terms interchangeably, is the base resin that's most commonly used as a carrier resin for colorant master batches. And I'm going to talk about colorant on the next podcast. So those terms will sort of become a little bit more um, understood, I, I guess I'll say. You'll find high density, really high density, ultra high molecular weight polyethylene and applications as diverse as sporting goods, 
think uh, body armor, for example, chest protectors, shoulder pads, shin pads, that type of thing. And in high strength ropes, uh, known in the sailing world, I, I'm a sailor and this is something I have some experience with. The brand names of Dyneema and Spectra are ultra high molecular weight polyethylene woven uh, rope. And it's they just do not have any give to them. Um, it's a pretty remarkable product. So advantages of the ultra high molecular weight polyethylene include, but are not limited to, excellent stress resistance and strong fracture resistance. 15 times more resistant to abrasion than carbon steel. So that's pretty impressive. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why plastics are such um, a favored material to work with. We can create plastics that have very unique capabilities. Uh, the ultra-high molecular weight polyethylene is 40% stronger than yarns woven with aramid nylon. Its excellent chemical resistance makes it extremely resistant to the majority of um, let's see, alkyds and acids, organic solvents, degreasers, and electrolytic assaults, so great in a marine environment. Uh, it's harmless. You could touch the material and nothing happens when you touch it. It has outstanding dielectric characteristics, so it does not conduct electricity. And, and the same can be said with polypropylenes and polyethylenes, um, unless a specific filler is added to aid in conducting, which I may get to at some point in time in this podcast. Uh, very low coefficient of friction, and they're self-lubricating, comparable to uh, almost to PTFE, and will float in water due to its low specific gravity. So the specific gravity less than one, and it will float. Shifting gears a little bit, uh, we're going to talk about polypropylene. And again, I'm going to defer to my friends at Wikipedia, and I would invite you, if you are interested in learning a little bit more, to go to Wikipedia and search their entry on polypropylene. So polypropylene, or PP, is a thermoplastic polymer used in a wide variety of applications. It is produced by chain growth polymerization from the monomer propylene. Polypropylene belongs to the group of polyolefins and is partially crystalline and nonpolar. Its properties are similar to polyethylene, but it is slightly harder and more heat resistant. It is a white, mechanically rugged material and has high chemical resistance, but polyethylene is still just a little bit better. Polypropylene is the second most widely produced commodity plastic after polyethylene. And I'll get into some of the applications for polypropylene, and I think you'll start to understand why that's the case. Uh, continuing again, just for a um, couple of paragraphs with Wikipedia and the history of polypropylene. Again, they've just condensed this so well, um, it made more sense to, uh, to quote directly here. Phillips Petroleum Chemist Paul J. Hogan and Robert Banks first demonstrated the polymerization of propylene in 1951. The stereoselective polymerization of the isotactic was, was discovered by Giulio Natta and Carl Wren in March of 1954. This pioneering discovery led to the large-scale commercialization, or sorry, led to the large-scale commercial production of isotactic polypropylene by the Italian firm of 
Montecantini, and I do hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, from 1957 onwards. Syndotactic polypropylene was also first synthesized by NADA. Interest in polypropylene development is ongoing to the present. I can certainly attest to that. For example, making polypropylene from bio-based resources is a topic of interest well into the 21st century. And uh, I know I'm going to be doing a podcast on bio-based materials coming up, uh, and I do hope to bring on a very special guest who will share her knowledge and experience with crafting bio-based materials. So stay tuned for that one. Polypropylene is in many aspects similar to polyethylene, especially in solution behavior and electrical properties. The methyl group improves mechanical properties and thermal resistance, although chemical resistance decreases. Remember, polyethylene still is the pinnacle of chemical resistance. The properties of polypropylene depend on the molecular weight and molecular weight distribution, crystallinity, type and proportion of co-monomer if used, and the isotacticity. That's a mouthful. In isotactic polypropylene, for example, the methyl groups are oriented on one side of the carbon backbone. This arrangement creates a greater degree of crystallinity and results in stiffer material that is more resistant to creep than both atactic polypropylene and polyethylene. So mechanical properties. The density of polypropylene is between 0.895 to 0.93, so still less than one. So an unfilled, so a a material that has not had any other ingredients added to it, will float. Therefore, polypropylene is a commodity plastic with the lowest density. With lower density, molding parts with lower weight and more parts of a certain mass of plastic can be produced. Unlike polyethylene, crystalline and amorphous regions differ only slightly in their density. However, the density of polyethylene can significantly be changed with fillers. So this is what makes um, polypropylene incredibly versatile in general houseware applications, automotive applications. There's so much polypropylene in automotive uh, from underhood applications, interior trim, exterior trim, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that coming up. Both PE and PP can be extensively modified with the introduction of fillers via a process called compounding. Very similar to mixing ingredients in a kitchen mixer, items such as talc, talcum powder, calcium, glass fiber, glass bead, organic fiber, um, so hemp and things like that, can be mechanically mixed and run through an extruder to plasticize or melt the mixture and create a homogenous blend prior to cooling and cutting into pellets for sale to a plastic processor. The mixing of various fillers to tailor mechanical properties to a given application is one of the attributes that give olefins, and I think polypropylene specifically, enduring marketplace acceptance that it has. By compounding unique products from polypropylene, we can create materials to fill safety-critical applications such as automotive trim pieces that, for example, won't splinter and injure a vehicle occupant should there be a serious impact. And this is particularly um, critical in interior components that are below the vehicles. It's referred to as belt line. So if you can imagine 
the opening of a car window, the bottom of that opening, sort of where you'd put your elbow out on a hot summer's day. That would be the belt line. So anything below that belt line, we have to ensure that whatever interior trim is used would not cause harm to the, um, to the occupant of a vehicle. And through the process of compounding and using polypropylene as a base, these special formulations can achieve those desired outcomes. Yet another product that falls into the polyolefin family is TPO. Thermoplastic polyolefin is a blend of PP, PE, a synthetic rubber, and in some cases, not always, but in some cases, a mineral filler to create a compounded product suitable for automotive exterior trim, such as bumper covers, rocker panel covers, spoilers, air dams, cowl bezel, well, and, and really any exterior trim. The rubber phase of the material imparts those incredible impact-resistant properties. The material can be made in UV-stable colors, most often, most often in accent colors, or paintable to match automotive OEM metal body panels. So in summary, the polyolefin family of thermoplastics offers impressive physical properties, varying but impressive degrees of chemical resistance, adaptability to various processing methods, and an extraordinarily strong overall ratio of capabilities versus cost. These are seriously versatile products. They are arguably the backbone of the polymer industry and of homes in the majority, majority of items that we interact with on a daily basis. So I do hope that you enjoyed this episode and learned a little bit about the fundamental building blocks of the plastics industry, polyolefins. On the next episode, I'll be talking about a topic that is near and dear to my heart, and that is color. I absolutely love color. It's so much fun, and it's really the last opportunity, in my opinion, to blend art and blend technology. And we're going to have a great talk about that. Thank you so much for listening, and I really appreciate your feedback. Please drop me a line, info at simcoplastics.com. Let me know what you think of the show. And if you have questions, I will do my best to answer them. And if your questions weren't a podcast, I will do a podcast on, uh, on some good uh, questions that come in. The Simcoe Plastics Instagram page is up, and I'm updating Facebook too. YouTube channel in the future, and okay, I'll get active on LinkedIn again, I promise. Anyway, thanks again for listening. Take care, and bye for now. <laughs>